Hello, and welcome to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, I have my friend and colleague, Chip Doyle. He is a long-standing SANA trainer. He teaches salespeople to sell as if they aren't selling. So, Chip, would you mind giving a quick introduction to who you are and your journey to get to where you are today? Sure, Marcus. I started uh, the business in 2000. I used to be, I was in sales before that, and prior to that, I was an electrical engineer. So I, I believe that, you know, part of my specialty is to bring some technical expertise to what we're doing and to, to try to search for the scientific backing and the scientific proof to the genius behind Sandler. Sandler uh, actually was a student of psychology, but I think sometimes we as sales trainers forget to emphasize why all these concepts work. And so that's just something I spend a lot of, of my spare time in learning, and it helps me be a better coach and trainer. Absolutely. Certainly, if you don't understand the underpinning principles of Sandler and the psychological foundations, then all you have is technique. And certainly in my experience, when clients just focus on the technique and they don't put the hard work into understanding the foundational stuff, They'll get good results, but uh, nowhere near as good as if they understand the principles that underpin it. Yeah, and that's actually, that's how I started my first year with Sandler, was just focusing on techniques and not worrying about the underpinnings or having a good comprehension of where they come from. And not surprisingly, I made a lot of mistakes, Marcus. (laughs) Well, uh, again, I think one of the most important uh, lessons that I've learned is that principles allow you to adapt no matter the environment. If all you're learning is the technique, then you're brittle and you snap when uh, the circumstance doesn't quite fit what you were expecting. Exactly. If you, have right. the principles, if you have the principles, then you can bend with the wind. So, Chip, I'm particularly interested in taking this conversation into the foundational psychology of Sandler. And David Sandler very sensibly built the whole system upon the principles of TA, transactional analysis. What are the four most common questions you receive from prospects and from clients about TA? Well, I think the the first naive question is, you know, what is this TA and why should I care? In some of the training presentation, it almost looks like a bolt-on chapter. I think another one is a false impression that they need to be concerned with the prospect's state that they're, they want to analyze the prospect state. And that is actually a question that we can talk about because it's a waste of time. I think that people don't spend enough time understanding the child states and why they're important for us to, to understand. I would say those are probably the most prevalent. And then finally, I think people don't ask this, Marcus, but transactional analysis is present all the time. It's happening right now while we're having this conversation. And when somebody's contemplating picking up the phone to make a cold call, and they're like, oh, nervous, and I don't want to do it, it's actually quite instructive to begin to analyze your own TA state while you're experiencing those feelings of anxiety. And that's not a question I get asked about, but it is definitely a very important tool or aspect of transactional analysis. I'm curious also to go a little bit deeper into other questions that people should ask but don't about TA. Oh, how does every compartment in the submarine relate to TA? How does every single Sandler technique, negative reversing, dummy curve, active listening, third-party stories, how do those relate? How do those fit in? The upfront contract, If you, when you can start to really connect 
the training to the, the science of transactional analysis, everything makes sense. You know, it's a big challenge, especially in the first three to six months of any student's experience with the training is, Chip, this is all counterintuitive. This is not the way I've been doing things. Well, it's not counterintuitive once you understand transactional analysis. So let's address that issue about how TA operates within the submarine. We're taught that you sell 70% from your nurturing parent and 30% from your adult. Do you mind explaining what those two ego states are and uh, why they're important? The adult state is the easiest one to explain if you're a Trekkie. If you like Star Trek, (laughs) I have a and it doesn't have to be the old ones with William Shatner. It can be the newer movie versions. I'm sure every all listeners are familiar with Star Trek. And there's this guy named Mr. Spock. Now, Marcus, I have a theory that Gene Roddenberry, who's the creator of Star Trek, was reading transactional analysis books back in the 60s when he created the Star Trek uh, screenplay. And I believe, uh, it's just a theory, but I believe he was inspired to create an, a, a character in his story that was 100% adult, and that is Mr. Spock. He doesn't laugh at jokes. He doesn't tell jokes. He never has a good time or uh, never gets angry. The Klingons could be attacking the ship, and death is imminent, and Spock stare, still has the wherewithal to tell the captain how many minutes they have before destruction. That, that is your perfect 100% adult. Engineers tend to go into their adult, you know. I'm sorry I'm late. I was in a car accident this morning. Oh, okay, well, it's all right. We can still, we can start the meeting now. You know, that's an adult response, right? So, so the adult is definitely has a place because we're trying to conduct business and we're trying to make, intel- and it's very intelligent and intellectual, but Sandler says you want to be in your nurturing parent 70% of the time. And I'm going to give you an exercise, Marcus, of how to get in touch with your nurturing parent that you can use with your clients. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. I want you to pretend that you're my father and I'm your six-year-old son. Okay. I know it's kind of weird. Just hang with me here for a second. <laughs> and I want you to speak to me just like you would if you were my father. Okay. You ready? Yep. Okay. Daddy. 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 Daddy, Daddy, yes, I know where Santa Claus comes from. Do you? Yes, Tell I me. do. Where do you know where from? he comes from? <laughs> do you know? He I, comes I from the so. North Pole. <laughs> That's right. And 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 you know what else? No. And you know what else? Go on. He lives there with elves, and they make toys all year long, so there's enough toys to go around at Christmas time for boys and girls like me. <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay, okay, that's enough. I, 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 sometimes <laughs> I feel like i got to take a shower after that. Marcus, just, you just demonstrated 100% nurturing parent. You just asked me questions. You just went along with everything that I said. You didn't correct me and say, I'm sorry, you're looking at Santa Claus right now, young man. You just kind (laughs) of went along with it and you had a nice conversation and you made me feel good about my new discovery. That is the nurturing parent and it's in everybody. You don't have to have kids to get in touch with it. But once everybody hears that example, they're like, oh, that's the nurturing parent. Sometimes people think, you know, the parent 
is supposed to do everything for the child. And that's not true. I think that those experienced parents out there know that sometimes you need to let the child make a few mistakes and, you know, stub their toe. And, and you need to give the child just enough rope to be able to learn a lesson. So don't confuse the nurturing parent with the helicopter parent that does everything for their child. Actually, the helicopter parent is suffering from some other aspects of transactional analysis that we probably don't have time to go into today. So that's really interesting. I mean, t- tell me this. How does the nurturing parent respond when you hear a hostile prospect? Well, I think just like you would respond if a child was upset. Oh, my gosh, are you upset? Are you having a bad day? Did your did your wife yell at you this morning? I mean, it's actually Sandler. <laughs> actually, I have a good story from a Sandler franchisee who actually asked that question to somebody who was being particularly rude to David. So it's just that you still are in that nurturing. Oh, Marcus, little poor you. You're not having a good day today, are you? That's still nurturing parent. Okay. Okay. So... In Bonding and Rapport, we might meet any of the three parent-adult-child ego states in our prospect. How do we move them into the adult-to-adult interaction in the upfront contract? Okay. So, so first of all, let me just stop right there because this is a really foundational concept that we're about to touch on. You do not want to think of moving the prospect anywhere. It turns out that if you start thinking of moving the prospect, through your technique, you actually are in a child state called the little professor. And Sandler is very clear that we don't want to be in our child state at all during a sales call. Now, Sandler also has another rule, manage what you can control. And so the way to think about these models and these, this, uh, this science is to simply think of controlling your own state markets. The question that people need to ask is, how do I control my state to be in the adult? Because if you know transactional analysis, you know that adult to adult is a compatible state. And if you become in your adult and you can really get in touch with that state, there's an extremely high likelihood that the prospect will naturally gravitate to their adult state and you'll be able to have a relatively effective upfront contract. It's really important that we've got to stay away from this idea that we're somehow manipulating the prospect because everything breaks down the minute manipulation enters our mind. Couldn't agree more. It's crucial that you're not trying to manipulate. The conversation between you and your prospect should be one of parity. And you're there to serve. You're there to help. I would say I am not optimistic by nature. I'm realistic. And any appointment that I go into, I never have any hopes that they're going to become a client. I go in with, okay, I'm going to talk to Marcus, and I don't expect that he's going to want to do any training with me, and that's fine. You know, maybe I can make a friend. Maybe I can be a resource. Maybe he knows somebody that he can introduce me to. But there's no pressure here for me to get business from Marcus because I'm just going to go through my submarine, and I'm just going to manage my states, and whatever's going to come out of it comes out of it. And that way, there's no pressure and there's no need to manipulate because I didn't, I'm not going to be disappointed. This plays to another really important principle, which is you get reflected back what you project out. If you're trying to do a move on somebody, they will pick up on it. Oh, yeah. If you're serving yourself, they will pick up on it. And, you know, Sandra teaches us the rule that no one likes to be sold, everyone loves to buy. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to get out of the way of the prospect and their decision to buy. 
Our job is to help them realize for themselves why they want to change. Because the only thing that we, we actually sell, whether you're selling training or whether you're selling nuclear submarines, is change. Um, every sale is, it's not physical, what's the word I'm looking for? Conceptual. 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 Mm -hmm. And people buy for their reasons, not our reasons. Let me tell you something. This is a passionate topic for me. I find that when it comes to classifying an opportunity, they fall into one of three categories. One category is the opportunity that was never going to go anywhere. There was never a chance. The salesperson had happy ears, and he, he or she was wasting their time the whole time. They should have never been pursuing it. The second one is the deal that's just like you described, that we just need to get out of the way of and let it happen and not project our own feelings. And, and <laughs> that looks really good on you. Um, and, and to Sorry, just, I just get out. Tip. I was showing him my happy ears. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a scary picture there, Marcus. But certainly to to get out of the way, just like you said, exactly. And then the third deal, I admit, is a little tricky. It's a little delicate. It can require a little bit of finesse to, draw, to bring it across the line. And I, I agree that having some good techniques and being a well-trained salesperson is probably going to help you succeed. But folks, the vast majority of the opportunities are the ones that were never going to happen. And you, shouldn't have, you should have found out you were wasting your time and moved on. And then the second most prevalent deals are the deals that were going to happen if you would just gotta get out of the way. It's a small minority of opportunities that we encounter that really require that level of finesse. And it it's just goes to your point exactly, Marcus. Again, one of the lessons that I learned the hard way over the last 34 years in sales is that you should never be emotionally attached to the outcome. And attachment tends to drag us what I call above the line into the drama triangle. And then we get sucked into psychological gameplay. And uh, the temptation, if we are attached, is to try and keep the deal in the, uh, in the pipeline because we're attached to keep, um, having it there. Or because we want the deal so much and we need it, so we're being selfish. And again, prospects pick up on this. So what do you teach people to do to stay mentally detached from the outcome and so, uh, have that service mentality. So first of all, you're, I mean, everything you're saying is correct. And what you're also reinforcing here, Marcus, is the importance of understanding transactional analysis. Because anytime you experience that emotion, that anxiety, that feeling of want, or even worse, the feeling of need, that means you're in a child state. Here's the, uh, here's the secret. This is, this is, it doesn't, you can read a lot of books to learn this, or you can just write this down right now because it's really powerful. The first step is to recognize you are in a child state because the minute you become a third-party observer and you notice that you are in a child state, you instantly turn into the adult state. So you can't be self-observant self -observant and aware in your child state. It's impossible. So the minute you become aware, oh, my God, look at me. I want this deal. <laughs> There's old Chippy coming out wanting to try to sell something. Yikes. Oh, nope. I was in my child state there, but I'm out now because I saw what was going on. I, I, I see now my emotional state. And that, that, that adult is like your home base. If you want to be safe, if you're in trouble and you want to be protected, go to your adult. 
And the easiest way to go to your adult is to be self-observant. And that, that, is the, that is the technique. And I've literally, Marcus, I've been in sales appointments with a prospect where I could sense, you know, I was feeling anxious or upset or needy. And I would literally have a little silent conversation with myself while I was in front of the prospect to get myself back to home base into that adult state. That's a fabulous and simply elegant piece of advice. So, Chip, tell me this. As you progress through the submarine, the prospect is likely to go through different states of emotion, attachment. How do you observe which ego state the prospect is in during pain, during budget decision? And which ego states are optimal for them to be in as they go through the process of self-discovery for you to reach a conclusion that's good for both parties at the end? The answer to your question lies in understanding the compatible states. And there's really only two compatible states that we as salespeople need to be concerned with. I I suppose if you're a family therapist or a psychologist, you might want to go deeper. But for business development or salespeople, we only need to worry about two. One is the adult to adult state, which you've already discussed is necessary for an effective upfront contract. And then the other compatible state is the nurturing parent to child. So as long as we're staying in our nurturing parent, we are doing everything that we can to uh, facilitate and make, create an environment that allows the, the prospect to go into their child state. You know, we know we're supposed to be in our adult 30% of the time and our nurturing parents 70% of the time. But what, what we don't emphasize as trainers enough is that means that the prospect will be in their adult 30% and in their child state 70% of the time. And people, as you know, buy emotionally. And the way to tell what state they're in is to listen for those emotional words. And when they're telling you how frustrated they are and how upset they are with their current situation and how disappointing it was to work with that last contractor or that last vendor, those are all the words that you're listening and would expect to hear from someone who's in their child state. And if they're in their child state, they may not buy, but you are doing everything you can to maximize the potential for them to buy by creating an environment for them to be in their child state. That's really fascinating. Okay, so we get to the end of submarine and we've gone through pain, through budget, through decision. We've established a second upfront contract before we move into the fulfillment step. What's the dynamic in terms of TA that the prospect goes through? Once they've gone through the child, then they're moving, I'm guessing you're going to say, into the parent state to give permission to go and find evidence. In the fulfillment step, How involved is the parent ego state versus the adult? So this is a really good, this is a really good question, and it's a fairly advanced question. First of all, I find that the worst thing you can do in the fulfillment step is to create any kind of surprise. Absolutely. Any surprise, and it could be a good surprise too. We don't give them positive surprises during the fulfillment step. Oh, I know that you were willing to spend a thousand dollars, but it's only going to be eight hundred. Don't no no surprises. Not all surprises are negative in the fulfillment step. 
And I think if you see yourself as the nurturing parent who is providing a Christmas gift to your child and you know they're going to love it, that is exactly the state that you want to be in. If you, if you have some anxiety about the presentation, like, I'm not sure they're going to go for it. I don't think they're going to like it. I wonder how they're going to feel about this option. Those are not healthy states. And that is basically a signal to you that you're not ready to present. When you present, it should be, you should present because you know that they're going to accept it. I once had somebody ask me for a proposal. I don't normally do proposals, but I said to them, I said, I would be happy to give you a proposal as long as I knew you were going to accept it. And he kind of looked at me funny, like, like that was an odd response, but I was very serious about it. And I said, okay, well, so if this is in the proposal, what would you do? And he said, that would be fine. And I said, and this is the timing for our proposal. He goes, yeah, that's, that's going to work. And I said, and so let's look at our calendar. When would we start the training? And we picked out our calendar. And, and I said, and the fee would be, you know, this that we've already talked about. And he goes, yep, yep. I said, okay, so if I send you a proposal with that on it, what will you do? And he said, well, I'd sign it. I said, fine, well, then I'll get you one tonight. <laughs> but it's like we, we need to get away from this idea that we're the, we're the student at the university. And the professor is all powerful, and we have to turn in our paper and hope they give us a good grade. That is exactly the mentality we want to get away from, and instead be thinking more about giving a child a, 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 a present for their birthday, knowing full well that they're going to love it. And again, this is a major shift. The first 17 years of my career, I thought the presentation was part of the selling process. Mm -hmm. I thought that a proposal was a sales document. Mm -hmm. They are nothing but confirmation of the order, as Thank you. Uh, Chip has just outlined. And the, the mistake so many salespeople make is they think that somehow putting their uh, genius on paper is uh, going to tip the prospect over the line. If you're putting your finger to keyboard, and you haven't got confirmation before you do so that they will buy, uh, subject to you putting the stuff in Chip has just described, then you're wasting your time. Crazy. It is crazy. It's a child state. It is a, a, a little professor state. It's called little professor. And it's a state that and the little professor is smarter than everybody else. And the little professor is the dreamer and the fantasizer. And I'm, I'm going to sell a lot of stuff to these people. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to get them to see the value because I'm so smart. And they have so much to learn from me. Those are child states. And they're not healthy at all for salespeople. Why is it that managers encourage that kind of child state in their salespeople so often? You know what? I, I got to tell you something. I was a sales manager once, Marcus. It's interesting. I got six months of sales training before they let me be a salesperson. I literally, I got six. I was not allowed to go out into the field until I had had six months of training. Most of it was product training, but nonetheless, they were mortified to put an untrained salesperson out in the field. I got zero training to be a sales manager. Sales managers just don't know. There's very little education for sales managers in, in this world right now. And most of this training is it's either inaccurate or it relates to some other profession that has nothing to do with selling. I think that sales managers, if they knew better, if they were trained properly, would be a lot more mindful about some of the really bad advice they're giving their people. I was ineffective as a sales manager because I didn't have any training. I mean, it was a real problem for me. I know. I lived it. I'm thinking in this current corona crisis, 
there are so many managers out there who've just been tapped on the shoulder and told, congratulations, Chip, you are one. Um, and it, it must be a horrific place to be because they couldn't really manage effectively when they were on the sales floor with the salespeople. Now they're remote and their salespeople really need support. In the UK, 30% of the adult population suffers from some form of clinical depression. And sales, the last two years, you've seen so much in the trade press around sales well-being and depression and stress. What advice would you give to managers who have found themselves in this unenviable position and they really need to be able to help their salespeople not only make it through, but stay intact and come out the other side stronger. Well, I could give you the politically correct answer, or I could give you the answer that I actually share with my clients. I would rather have the, the one that actually works, please. The, 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 politically correct, uh, the politically correct answer is keep your chin up, stay positive, we're going to get through this. Anybody that can keep their chin up and stay positive 100% of the time is not a human being right now. This is an extremely challenging time, and I think that the most sage advice I can give is to not be positive, but be, to be intelligent. When any, again, we said that any kind of emotion is a child state. So if we can start getting into our adult and observing our feelings of, uh, of yeah, everyone gets a little depressed right now. I wake up every morning thinking, oh, right, got that virus thing to deal with today. And every day I you know, have to put on my shirt and put on my pants and go, okay, what can I do about it? And it really is ultimately about what can you do, what is within your control that you can manage today to make forward progress on your goals. And, and to realize that another thing I think that I really struggle with is that uh, feelings of resentment, that it's not the way that it was three months ago. And it's real easy to just get hung up on that, boy, if this had been three months ago, I would have done this completely different. It's really not helpful. What we need to think of is, okay, if we're going to use Zoom or if we're going to use a phone differently and we're going to have to sell out of our home office, what do I need to do to maximize my potential uh, impact or effectiveness? It's really about getting back in touch with your adult and becoming self-observant so that you can create the plan of success. So again, back to the question though, in terms of practical stuff that managers can do in order to help salespeople who are probably feeling quite isolated, they are struggling with that internal narrative that's telling them the sky's falling on their heads, no one's yeah. buying, it's a tough economy, budgets are being frozen. How do you manage from the nurturing parent? Well, uh, again, I think you're, you're, you're already indicating we need to keep the lines of communication open more so now than ever. There's probably going to be a greater need for one-on-one -on -one conversations as opposed to group meetings. For two reasons. One, it's more difficult to have an effective meeting on Zoom or on the telephone when than it would be one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that people are going to need that support. And then finally, I think uh, another thing that managers can do is to, rather than to call up with a mission or to call up with a request, to just say, hey, how's it going? What are you working on? How can I be a resource? Just letting the salesperson know that every time the sales manager calls me, it's not because she has some request for me or some assignment. 
this would be a real good time to just call and say, how's it going? What's going on? What are you working on? I'm interested in what you're doing. I'm not calling because I have one more thing to you, for you to do today. Excellent. Okay, so as we move through, let's come back to the sales process. As we move from the fulfillment step into the post-sell, which ego states are at play there? In the post-sell? I, that's a really good question. And I am a big believer. In fact, Sandler, the first time Sandler mentioned this, I thought it was a misprint. Sandler says you're supposed to start asking for referrals in the post-sell. You're supposed to set clear next steps and ask for referrals. And of course, the advice I'd always been given is once the customer says yes, get out of there as quickly as possible before they change their mind. And Sandler says, no, no, hang around, make sure they're not going to get cold feet, manage their expectations and tell them the bad news that it's not going to be as easy to implement as you as they think, and definitely start asking for referrals. And that just, again, blew me away. I would say in the post-sell, you probably need to get more in touch with your adult state than and any other compartment in the submarine. And here's the reason. The prospect just said yes. How do you think most salespeople, Marcus, are feeling right now? Elated, upbeat, enthusiastic, excited, can't wait right. to get out. Right, and, and their cognitive functions are falling off a cliff, and they are going into their child state. I believe the post-sell is probably the most challenging compartment in the submarine to master because, number one, we don't get to do it very often because not everybody says yes. And number two, our emotional state is so, we, is so elevated that it's very difficult to get back in touch with our nurturing parent and our adult. So my advice to the listeners would be in the post-sell would be to really get in touch with your adult state. And one of the things you can do to help you is to do planning before the appointment and take just about yeah, three or four minutes to plan for if they say yes, what are you going to say and do to rehearse your response? And be, be optimistic for about four minutes and just think, okay, if they say yes, what is it that I have to do? And, and rehearse that out in your mind. So if it actually happens, you'll be ready. That's really good advice. And I can't stress enough how important planning, rehearsal, 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 and then execution and then post-call debriefing. So again, when we're looking at the natural resistance that we seem to come up against a lot with salespeople around planning, role play, post-call debriefs, what is it that we need to do in order to help them understand the critical importance of those behaviors and turning those behaviors into habits? Uh, well, obviously, uh, they're in their child state if there's a lot of resistance. And by the way, I just wanted to add one thing to the post-sell, Marcus. You know, yes. people ask me about what some of the keys have been to my financial success. I will tell you that I've probably made more money financially off of the post-sell than any other compartment in the submarine. If you really learn how to nail that that compartment, it's amazing what a difference it can make to your client loyalty, to the number of referrals that you get, and your business will benefit immensely. The nice thing about sales, and, and this would be advice I'd give to sales managers too, is that selling and sales management are just as systematic as accounting systems. They are just as systematic as a manufacturing process. Any kind of process is a good role model for sales. A lot of people think sales is something that you can't predict or that you have to kind of figure it out as you go and everything has to be extemporaneous. 
And the reality is, is that as long as we're dealing with homo sapiens, the psychology is always going to be the same. So it is very easy to do an enormous amount of role play and pre-call planning for every appointment. It's a science, just like anything else that you do. Absolutely. I mean, if a finance department was run as shambolically and happy-go-lucky as uh, most sales departments are, they go broke. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Excellent. Chip, thank you very much for that. That's been really insightful. Tell me this. What, what are you reading, listening to, watching that's really inspiring you or um, helping you to develop? I, one of my favorite books is um, Your Brain at Work by David Rock. I think that sometimes I find it's helpful to read a lot of other books because you're going to see a lot of common themes to the things that we teach, Marcus. And I think it's helpful and inspirational to me personally to see that a lot of people have, besides David Sandler, have come to the exact same conclusions about you know, how the brain works and what motivates people and how we think and how to control our emotions. You know, Born to Win is a really readable book about transactional analysis. And uh, if people want to dive deeper into TA, I'd say Born to Win is probably the seminal textbook to read. There's others, but some of them get kind of technical, and you might not find them as rewarding. Born to Win's really written in, a, in an easy-to-read format. And then, you know, the other thing uh, to remember is, and we didn't talk about this much today, is something I wish I had read and understood a long time ago was um, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Are you familiar with that book? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I used to think, well, just a real quick story. When I was an engineer at General Motors and I decided to leave and go become a salesperson, I found out they replaced me with two people. And I was a little conflicted about that. I mean, how are you supposed to feel when you leave a job and find out that they replace you with two people, Marcus? Um, probably a bit hard done by the you didn't get paid twice. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh, my God, I was doing the job of two people and only getting paid for one. Because my parents told me, Chip, work hard, do a good job, and you'll be rewarded. And the, the, that's nice. But what they didn't tell me is, Chip, you need to have a really big social network. You could be the best salesperson in the world. You could be a transactional analysis master. But if you're not talking to enough people, if you're not having conversations with enough prospects, it's not going to work. And so I, and it really is true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so I I would give that advice to the listeners that, you know, don't get too caught up in that it's just about selling and it's just about the submarine. You've got to be a good prospector. You've got to be a good networker. You need to have a giant LinkedIn universe and have frequent conversations with new people on a regular basis to really make all these skills pay off. So Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, really good book. Fantastic. Thank you. So you've got a golden ticket and you can go back and travel back in time to meet the idiot Chip age 23. What advice would you give him to avoid a life of self-sabotage and uh, idiocy? Well, well, I would definitely get him to read that book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell and understand a little bit more about networking and social networks for sure. But, you know, I've got to tell you, and that would really be the, the biggest piece of advice I would give. But I, I, I have to tell you something, Marcus, and this might sound a little deep, but at this stage in my life, when I look back to all the twists and the tour, turns and the detours, they all make sense now. 
<laughs> I mean, at the time, I was a little bit verklempt and upset and frustrated. But the struggles that I had with Sandler initially make me a better coach now. The challenges that I experienced in some of my other careers just help me be more effective at what I'm doing now. And and I, I think that that would be some advice that I'd give is, you know, relax and just go with the flow a little bit more and stop beating yourself up all the time and, and just focus on what you can control. That'd be some other advice that I'd give. I think uh, coupled with that is fail fast, fail early, and fail often, yeah. and then forgive yourself because failure is your best teacher. Okay, so final question then. What, what are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with yourself at the moment? I'm really, uh, because of the timing of this call and with everything that's going on with the, the coronavirus, I'm, I'm really struggling with, you know, the, I, there's things I want to do outside. There's, I, I miss my friends. You know, I miss getting together and having a pint with you, Marcus. I mean, uh, this is really, um, I wake up every morning and I'm action-oriented. I think of things I want to do, and I can't do a lot of them. It's kids. Anybody that's not being affected by this is just not a homo sapien. They're just not human. And it's, it's, it's hard for me. I was on a call earlier on today with the Miami Sandra folks, and they're having virtual coffee, virtual lunches, virtual drinks, and that's alleviating it to some degree. It's by no means uh, an ideal solution. I think what I am finding is that the constant contact with other people and simply reaching out to people and saying, yeah, how are you? And having a, a human conversation, it doesn't have to be about work or trying to sell to people. Oh, yeah. I mean, this it's, people are answering the phone. I mean, people are there, and they will take your call, and this is a good time to just reconnect. We don't need to be selling. Sometimes it's just about caring and being that nurturing parent for your friends. My clients are seeing a 300% increase in get-through rates at the moment, and I know it's a terrible time, and all this adversity and the human suffering – uh, the constraint, the restrictions, and so yeah. on. But I fundamentally believe that this is an, a great opportunity because it's challenging us to be more creative. I honestly do not believe that there will be a better time for real professional salespeople in our uh, working lives because the competition are lying down and rolling over. I was making cold calls on 9-11, Marcus. There was nothing else to do. Then the, the networking event that I was attending that morning was canceled and everyone was sent home. And it was interesting. I mean, as horrible and tragic as that day was, I had some very interesting conversations with complete strangers. And I kind of think there's some similarities to that day and what we're going through right now. I think people are going through a grieving process. Oh, um, no. it, it's, like, it's like going through mourning. And I think we need to be sensitive. We need to be situationally aware. But people want to have meaningful conversations with us. And it's also easy, too, to forget about the people that are actually losing loved ones, because there are people that we know that are losing people that they know are dying. I'm, I'm feeling a kind of insulated because none of my friends have the virus. But I have to keep reminding myself that there are people that are dying, and 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 some people were those were their relatives and their friends, and it it is a time to mourn. Absolutely, I, I was on a call with a bunch of chief sales officers um, last week, and the person facilitating the call was saying that it's probably going to be about six months for many people 
to make it through the grieving process. And so coming back to that conversation we were having around management, it's really important that as managers, we are there, that the pastoral side of management is absolutely critical. And our job as managers is to hire the best people, get the best out of them, make sure they have the tools and resources they need to do their best work every day. And that third part is making sure that they have somebody that they can lend an ear to or who can hear them. And I think one of the most useful ways to use this time is genuinely learning how to listen. One of my favorite books, it's a, it's a, a must-read as far as I'm concerned, is by Dr. Mark Goulston called Just Listen. And he wrote another very good one as well called Talking to Crazy. I don't know, have you come across them? No, I haven't. I've read uh, the book Listening the Forgotten Skill, which I highly recommend. That's that's an em- we don't as Sandler trainers, we don't emphasize that enough and I think you're spot on. Again, listening is an active skill. It requires you to be fully present. And one of the lessons of a friend of mine about 14 15 years ago taught me is that attention is a currency. You pay attention And I don't think there is enough attention paid as salespeople, as managers, as leaders to what people are really saying between the lines. They need to be heard. We need to be felt. We need to be understood. And this is a great opportunity for us as salespeople. We're speaking to our customers, to our clients, and really understand them. Even if you're not having a transactional call, honestly, I don't think they all have to be. But finding out how they're getting on, how their families are, but also talking to them about what their fears and their concerns are, what their plans are. And I I think this is a brilliant opportunity for you to get closer to your customers and really get to understand what they're trying to achieve, why they are in business, who they're in business for, what their vision and direction is, how this crisis is affecting them, and really develop that skill of listening, he says, talking through you. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Okay. Chip, thank you so much for this. It's been packed full of insight. How can people get hold of you? Just type in Chip Doyle. I'm the most famous Chip Doyle in the world on the internet. And you (laughs) can find me and my website and you can read my book, Selling to Homeowners the Sandler Way. It's all right there. I've I've worked very hard for 20 years to become the most famous Chip Doyle on the planet. (laughs) I'm the most famous Marcus Kalki as well. There is another one now. He's a recruiter in Essex. Chip, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And if there's somebody that you think would be a really good guest for me to interview, then please introduce us. And if you think you'd be a good guest, then please, by all means, get in touch and we can have a chat. So that's Marcus Kauke signing off. Happy selling and stay safe.